Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Frame and Sequence podcast. My name is Todd Rittendaro, and in this episode, I chat with Sean Connedy. Sean is an Emmy Award-winning cinematographer based in Los Angeles. He has lensed a wide variety of projects, everything from music videos and commercials to narrative feature films, and his work is played at Sundance, Cannes, and Berlin. In addition to his cinematography, he is also an accomplished photographer, exploring deeply personal themes in his work. In this episode, we dive into Sean's background in philosophy and how it has influenced him as a filmmaker, how he approaches a project and some very creative ways of thinking. We also chat about his personal photography and how he brings that into his professional projects. We also get into some of the films and filmmakers that have influenced him over the years, as well as some of his personal interests outside of film and photography that keep him inspired and the creativity flowing. I've admired Sean's work for a long time, and this chat was a real treat for me. He shares a lot of inspiring gems in this one, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Sean. Hey, how's Thanks. it going? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me over and for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. One of the reasons I was excited to reach out to you to talk is because every time I see one of your images on Instagram, I know it's yours before I even read the name. I appreciate that. <laughs> so how long have you been in doing cinematography? Let's see, I guess professionally, probably over 10 years at this point. I went to USC Film School for grad school, studied cinematography there, graduated from there in about 2008. Did you go to undergrad for film? No, I actually studied philosophy undergrad. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was simultaneously about four or five different majors in, in school. I was, you know, interested in history and political science and literature and and then all of a sudden I just took a random film class my sophomore year of college and within about 10 minutes I knew that this is exactly what I wanted to do with my life. So, And at that point I didn't know that it was cinematography specifically. I just saw that I could combine absolutely everything that I was interested in. And so the funny thing about philosophy was that it was the one major that had the fewest requirements and so it did allow me to take classes in other departments and so that's how I then took that film class and then I... Uh, yeah, I ended up graduating a year early from college and just moved out here, applied to USC, got in, and and then kind of just sort of bounced while I was in school. USC was great because it had a three-year program, so you got to experiment in a lot of different just sort of avenues of filmmaking, and I think that their sort of philosophy is very much kicking you out as a consummate filmmaker who kind of understands how all the you know departments interrelate you know the the, the sort of double-edged sword is you kind of start you, you spend about that first year kind of barking up a ton of different trees and in my case what ended up happening was you know I kept making the same bad short film after another same bad student film and you know the, the criticism was you know was like hey you know this, this film is terrible <laughs> but it looks great maybe you should consider a career in cinematography and I you know I was devastated I think at first because I was like oh yeah well I'm gonna be a director and it was just like no it's like this is this is so much the way that my brain works you know is that fusion of you know how do you how do you find those images that that don't require the words and how do you kind of communicate that right that story in this sort of like distilled four-walled frame so oh that's so interesting yeah uh, I, I went to NYU for film mm. and had always always felt like from a distance that USC prepared people better for the actual industry. I don't know if that's true. Was that your experience? I, I think it depends. I think it, and I think anybody would say this is, is that it is what you make of it. I had a lot of criticisms of my experience and the sort of expensive experience that USC grad school was. But what it did provide me was just sort of, sort of bubble for three years. Um, to make a ton of mistakes, you know. I mean, I worked on my friend. I, I got a better. This is. This, I got a better technical education working in my friend's AFI sets. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I would work, you know, I would work as a juicer or a grip on, you know, their projects. There was a DP who I, you know, was her second AC for, and she's still been a mentor of mine, Stephanie Martin. And she just gave me a ton of really great advice, uh, you know, and just really great technical, but also more career advice. Um, but I don't think that I would have had that sort of freedom of exploring different projects had I not, or, you know, just as a, you know, working crew, had I not been at USC. And I think that that's sort of what they foster um, is just, you know, hey, we're not going to, you know, maybe give you the the perfect way of lighting it, but we're going to, you know, you're going to figure out your way of lighting it. And I think I really appreciated that about oh, the yeah. education. That's so, really cool. Yeah. Do you remember any specific piece of advice that she gave you? Yeah. She gave me a lot of really good pieces of advice. The one was, you know, she's like, yeah, you're, you know, you love your, your classmates. You think they're super talented, but you know, for the first five years out of school, they're not going to be in a position to hire you just yet. So figure out a way of expanding your network, figuring out a way of meeting new directors, new producers. And it was funny, it was almost like clockwork within, you know, I mean, obviously there were projects that I would do with, you know, people that I had gone to school with, but they weren't paying my bills at that point. And so it was really just, you know, it was that advice of like, you need to go out and promote yourself. You need to figure out ways of meeting new people so that by the time that those people are in, you know, your, your friends, your classmates that you went to school with are in a position to hire you, then you've sort of built that resume and that credit base. And she ended up being totally right because then, you know, it's like only now, you know, being, I guess I've been out for 10 years, but you know, within, within five years, it was then like, okay, now my, you know, my, my, my friends are starting to do more legitimate commercial work and more legitimate feature work. Um, and that was really, you know, uh, ended up coming to bear. Right. So, yeah. Oh, that is great advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you inspired or by any other films or filmmakers that time in your education? that you were trying to learn from by emulating or just inspired by? Really great question. I, I mean, I think it, there was the, I would say the big three for me when I was in school were probably Scorsese, Malick, and Paul Thomas Anderson. It's um, a good trilogy. Yeah, and it's it, it's funny because it's, it's I you know, I think PTA for me is still number one. I, I think that it, Scorsese was a... I mean, I think I probably wrote five or six different papers on ta Taxi Driver when I was in college. Because what I really loved about that movie specifically, that really helped me understand that like you could do a lot more with film and filmmaking than just purely entertain people, was that you could kind of infuse it with a lot of substance underneath it. Right. And I think that what, what I really enjoyed about dissecting that film was that on one level it is it does hit you on an entertaining level it isn't just dribble it isn't just navel gazing of you know a movie that collapses under the weight of its own ideas but then conversely it also is so built up with comments on you know contemporary or you know contemporary political science and you know theology and just a philosophical basis but then also just like a, a filmmaking basis that I was like oh you can you can do this with this medium and this is our contemporary medium in a way that I, I think I had never really understood possible. Right. Um, I'd always kind of approached it. It's like, well, that's what literature is for is to be able to have substance and, you know, kind of explore the mind in that way, but not something that I thought that film was, was really interesting, you know, was not capable of, but just something that I'd never really pursued at all. Right. So 
Yeah, that film for me was also, I, yeah. I must have seen it a hundred times. I wrote a paper on it at one point. <laughs> I think, yeah, probably. But yeah, that was the first time that it opened up my eyes to how important composition was. Yeah. Like in terms of, you know, there's a scene that I remember so vividly where he's in a diner and yeah. there's all these people and he's always isolated yeah. in the frame. It's like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. there's intense with every shot in, the, yeah. in that movie. Yeah. It's funny. I would say Magnolia is the movie that made me want to make movies, but there's oh, well. but there's a movie. It was sort of that was that was the one where I saw just that there was so much energy and just so much freedom and creativity to filmmaking that I think I had never really considered before. Yeah. But it was actually it's and I I, I do this still. It was within like the first ten minutes of watching The Graduate. <laughs> my my film teacher, and he's still really he's still a good friend of mine. I mean, he was at my wedding, and he's just been a really great mentor of mine. Wow. This was back in college. You know, he just he would he would break down these scenes for us, and he would just say like, these aren't accidental choices. These things didn't just make their way onto screen for you to feel this way. And even if you're not conscious or can even articulate these these kind of reactions they were intentional decisions on the part of the filmmakers. And right. I think just to be able to all of a sudden feel like that that was a power within my grasp as a storyteller, as an artist, was not something that I just had never even considered possible before. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. That's very cool. You obviously jump around from, you've done docs and sure. narrative shorts, narrative yeah. features, music videos, commercials. Do you have a favorite? Oh man, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with this one. I, I would say that Incel, which is directed by John Marizaldi, is my the favorite thing that I've done, um, that I've shot. Going back to what we talked about before, it, it was just very intentional filmmaking. Right. It's a story within a world about with that John was has always been interested in. And it started with a really great script, but then it just became a, you know, how do we... How do we tell this story in a respectful way? Um, how do we tell this story in a way that still has a point of view? That wasn't necessarily, oh, the camera then therefore needs to be subjective. Mm -hmm. um, there was still a distance that was important to us. But I think more than anything else, it was just that exploration of how are we going to tell this incredibly difficult story? And I think John brought the right just sort of sensibility and approach to it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't intended to be sensational or sort of provocative for the sake of it definitely provokes but i think that just the trust that he and i have um, from having worked together for so long we really were committed to and believed in what we did and i think just you know the the acclaim that it's got since then is a, is a nice validator but it was also one of those things where it just as we were making it and as we were you know, really just almost staying out of the way of some of the performance, the, the performances that we were getting. It was just so refreshing. It's like, no, this is, this is what we want to be doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah. Do you prefer narrative over everything else? It's a good given? question. It's what I got in. It's what I, it, it's what I got into it to do, but I also really, have, I really love shooting commercials. Um, you know, I, I, I love the storytelling aspect of narrative. I think that it, there's a there's a there's an exploration of there's just an exploration that's more interesting to me. It the I think in many ways the cinematography rightfully needs to take a back seat. And for commercials, it's much more foregrounded visuals. I think I'm much more interested in, in I think subtlety yeah. within storytelling and not having it be so readily apparent um, right off the bat. But I think I just like the kind of, you know, the the quickness of it. 
you know, I mean, this uh, this car commercial that we shot in New Orleans, uh, we shot it on a Tuesday and it aired that Saturday. Wow. Um, so there's a, you know, <laughs> That's and, it was, and, and it's, you know, it, it's got polish and it's, you know, it's, it's high value. And I think that that was refreshing to be able to put so much time and energy and effort into, you know, something that didn't have to wait then two years before it then could be appreciated or seen for um, sure yeah that's often so, yeah that's often the struggle with film yeah it's you know it's, features i mean even yeah narratives features or you know shorts or features or you know any project is just it's there's a stamina required yeah um, there's a larger obviously investment required um so yeah for sure something you hinted at was you know hiding some of the shots and storytelling, but mm-hmm. working on a subtle level. Did that take you a while to arrive at, or was there a conscious moment where you were like, okay, this is how it sort of, or how you approach it? It's funny, I think I probably vacillate. There are, there are certain cinematographers who, whose work is, is almost just so invisible. I mean, Harris Savitas is a huge influence for me. And then it's funny that I'll go so far down that rabbit hole, and then I'll swing to the other side, and you know, I'll go watch a, you know, I'll watch Casino or watch a, you know, Tarantino, Bob Richardson film. And there's just such a bravado to the imagery that sometimes you do need to herald to the audience, like, hey, this is an important moment. There's this great, I read this book last year. It's the David Byrne, How Music Works books. And, mm. and he was talking about how in, you know, it's a, it's a specifically a theater thing, which is like, you know, you can't, a thing can't just happen. It has to sort of be prepared. Specifically in theater, like there has to be something that, you know, it has to be the character walking around the sort of stage to, to draw your eye, to tell you, hey, a moment is about to occur. And I think that too often, especially in, you know, I think some of the cinematography that, that I'm drawn to or even that I do, it's just sort of like subtlety above all else becomes the, the, the sort of guiding principle. And you forget that, again, it's still, you still want to make bold images. You still want to make things that people look at and go, wow. Right. And I, you know, and, and so for me, it's always just this kind of pendulum swing between, you know, it, and that's, I think what I also enjoy about commercials is that some, sometimes it is a, hey, you're, you're meant to hang back. You're meant to, you know, if it's a very documentary style commercial or whatnot, like it's not about spending four hours on a lighting setup. It's, you know, with a pre-light and, you know, whatnot. It is, you know, hey, you're showing up. You don't know what the location looks like. Make it work. But also it's not about you. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's, you know, that's kind of its own necessary learning experience. Yeah. So Most of my shorts at in film school were heavily inspired by Bob Richardson and JFK specifically. I was obsessed with that movie. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that some of the things you think about from the philosophy side have woven their way into your visuals? It's a really good question. I, I, I wish I had a better retention of what I studied and learned in the school, but I think at the very least what it taught me was just almost brain patterning in terms of problem solving. And I think that that's probably the most directly applicable piece of the education that I got, yeah. which is the identification of a problem, the deconstruction of that problem, the then sort of being able to put the pieces together in the right order in an almost three-dimensional space sometimes in your brain to be able to then figure out all the permutations and consequences of your potential solution to that problem. 
And then it's all theoretical until you actually have to, I think what, what's fun for me in terms of the departure from philosophy into filmmaking was that philosophy for me always felt like it was very much this academic, inapplicable study that then I was able to bring into filmmaking where it is much more about decision making and it is much more about the confidence that you you bring to your ideas and your executions. Right. Did you ever gravitate towards one philosophical school of thought? Yeah, I studied a lot of Kierkegaard and a lot of Nietzsche. There was a there was a class that I took. Again, it was about the sort of like a, the applicability of philosophy that was what was so fascinating to me and it was about, you know, very much philosophy and modernism, but modernism specifically as it affected literature, specifically in Britain. <laughs> and I just really was interested in that transitional period of the end of the empire and how did, on a very existential level, how did Great Britain, through its artists, come to terms with its new identity? And that was something that was always, uh, you know, whether it was T.S. Eliot, James Joyce, yeah. uh, Yvonne Waugh, like these were all authors that I was interested in, but I think it was... This, this wasn't a movement that came from purely, it didn't emerge from nothing, it emerged from ideas. And so to be able to dissect those ideas that presupposed that right. uh, or preceded it was really interesting for uh, me. Yeah, so. that's super fascinating. So yeah. for sure, <laughs> very cool. So do you find that there's certain stories that you gravitate towards? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's funny, there's a, there's a feature I did in Georgia, uh, in Savannah a couple of years ago and, and the director I had never done this before, but his his whole theory is that he's like, you know, we all have these stories and these themes that we're drawn to. And it's no, you know, I think a lot of times we think it's the sort of like, you know, aesthetic preferences, or I just really like things that look like this, but it, we sort of forget that substantively there are core stories that just drive us, um, that we relate to, that we don't relate to. And, you know, and uh, for me, what I've really been able to identify, and it, and it you know, I, I have this conversation with, you know, with my agents of just like, let's find things like this. I'm really, you know, I just read East of Eden and it just really kind of broke open this whole other piece of my brain where I was like, I'm really interested in these stories about generational trauma. You know, All the King's Men was another one that I just read recently where it's just taking these things that have happened in previous generations, whether it's one before or, you know, 200, 150 years before, and then seeing the seeds of that planted then are sown right. um, in that sort of present story and whether or not those those things can be escaped from. I think it's just a theme that I've always been interested in, just personally. You know, I think there's the another thing, theme specifically is very much, you know, I would just say, you know, you're kind of David and Goliath stories, you know, almost underdogs. There's, you know, I, when I was talking with that director, you know, he was asking me and I think I had just seen I think Michael Clayton had just come out. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's the same kind of deal where it's very much this sort of, uh, I wouldn't say anti-hero, but it's very much a, you know, never do well, you know, down on his luck. Just this this character who is able to completely subvert this from the inside, this uh, almost just faceless system. And I think that that's really those kinds of stories I'm just always drawn to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I love those as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say the only the other ones. I guess I'm a sucker for for mother son stories too. Oh, nice. <laughs> there's a there's a theme in a lot of the photography that I've that I've been that I do that is just my my mom is completely fascinating to me. She's got a really interesting story, and there's, you know, I think I will always in my photography and in those stories 
be exploring just kind of an, a better understanding of her. Yeah. And so there's this kind of motif that shows up in a lot of the, the photos that I do. And it's, it's this, it's based on a photo that I took of her uh, from behind and it's for the back of her head. And it's funny because I found this again in another moment. I was down in Australia and I saw the same exact moment happen with a woman who had very similar hair to her wow. and, and, you know, and then really just kind of finding myself gravitating to specifically this kind like this sort of image over and over and over again and it's just this constant sort of conversation that i'm having back and forth with her even though she's not present but it's using these sort of surrogate strangers uh you know yeah in the process that's super interesting yeah do you do a lot of personal photography i do i do i you know there was a there was a point a couple of years ago where i I think I went so far down the kind of commercial rabbit hole where you realize that there's not, or you don't think that there's a whole lot of you personally expected within your work. Mm. You, I think, very much approach it as it as a, how do I be the best technician possible? And not necessarily how do I be the best, you know, human being, storyteller, artist right. possible. Right. And I would go from job to job and it was just very much like there's none of me in my work. And yet in my photography, my stills work, it's very personal. It's very much just me working out themes from my childhood and kind of really exploring those. And, and it was working with, I worked with Bonnie Taylor. She was at the Icon before. And eventually she just looked, you know, I would just start printing there and she's like, well, when are you gonna do your own show? Um, and so it was really her encouragement and my wife's encouragement as well to just kind of invest that time in myself and that took you know eight or nine months to put that show together but it was very much just a a different moment of me being able to use my voice in a way that i i don't think was i didn't even think there was a space for that in cinematography specifically commercial cinematography but the interesting thing was that having to articulate myself both photographically but then also have to write words and talk about that show (laughs) allowed me to then speak more clearly visually in my cinematography work to to be like hey this is how i can infuse this particular scene or this moment in a way that reminds me of something from my childhood or whatever it is but having those conversations right with my directors as opposed to copying and pasting looks that we both were drawn to but had not but didn't really feel the space was there to be able to have those personal conversations yeah um, totally. and so just bringing that intimacy to the work I think for me was really where that the personal photography work has, has found its way back into the cinematography yeah so yeah it's interesting on your uh, just on your Instagram feed I, it's I really had I was going through a lot of your work this week but it was really hard to tell what was a still from a interesting from a film versus a just a still photo that you took which is why I felt like there was a very cohesive voice to I, everything you do I appreciate that yeah are you working on any personal photos now no there's it's I would say right now it's just a lot of different like technique exploration so there there isn't a story that's sort of dying to get out of me at the moment right. um, in terms of photography but there are a lot of different ways of expressing myself that are that are coming out that are really interesting um and so whether it's just i mean i've just been doing a lot of different things photochemically that i think i never would have felt comfortable doing before but it's just kind of like well what do you have to lose it's one role right um and then finding these really happy accidents that i'm then able to bring into another way of of articulating an idea. I go up to Big Sur a lot. My wife and, and I go up there and it, it, what's great is it's 
it's it's the same stretch of coastline, but every time you go up, it's just different. And yeah. I have from this exact vantage point so many different photographs and it's almost sort of like a benchmark of my kind of growth as a photographer yeah to I go back it. through them but but i just you know i just got the, this a uh, couple rolls of film back yesterday and and it's just a i was trying stuff that i just had never done before and i'm so excited to see all of these kind of different elements coming together and just really kind of having that pay off in that way yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, do you shoot most of your personal work on film? Yeah, almost all of it. I mean, I really didn't bite. The The only digital camera I had for a long time was just an iPhone. Um, yeah. And I really, you know, and, and it just sort of became, at first that was sort of like cute, and then it became kind of professionally irresponsible <laughs> on, um, yep. you know, with, with scouts and whatnot. I was borrowing cameras, and I just was like, okay, bite the bullet, get yourself a digital SLR. Yeah, there's a... You know, that's how I learned how to shoot photography when I was in college. Um, you know, it was black and white 35. And then, you know, for me, it's just kind of bouncing back and forth between 35 and medium format, just sort of depending on circumstances, environment, almost also just kind of like what what sort of stories do I want to tell, you know? And I, but I, yeah, I just, I love the, it's, I, it, there was a point, I think, where I was full on fetishizing the medium. And I think that I was, my wife is, been really helpful in terms of my growth as a photographer um photographs that i would just obsess over that i you know i was like this is i think this is really great and she's like well i look terrible in it (laughs) um and this isn't a very good photograph and i'd be like but you know the the photochemical processes that i did to make it look this way and she's like i don't care this photograph is completely useless (laughs) and so to be able to to um, not so much look at the technical aspect and, and really pull back and say like nobody nobody cares what you shot it on you know but yeah. is there is there emotional resonance to that image and if so you know i mean the the i'll show you the the biggest photograph that you know for that show that i did was one that was captured on an iphone and and that had a better for me it wasn't about the resolution it had just had a better quality to what we were, to what I was going for, right? Than any of the the medium format images that that also could have been at a similar scale. Yeah, so, I hear you on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love shooting whenever I travel, and yeah, pounding the pavement, you know, getting sunrises and not getting a single shot, and then y- you get one on the way to breakfast. I mean, honestly, like... it's it's one of the it's one of the best things about being a commercial DP is that you know you you fly in, you scout the next day, and then you usually have two down days before you're shooting. Yeah. And so I just use those opportunities to just walk around and I, you know, I'll walk 15, 18 miles, you know, on those days and just explore because it's when else am I going to be here, yeah. you know, and you know, I've just completely fallen in love with some cities as a result of it because I just, you know, somebody else is paying for me to go explore a city and take photographs of it like you right. kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you feel like you have a, a favorite focal length that you gravitate towards? That's really funny. It's all, it, it, I think, similar in the exploration. It's all, it's all different. I, you know, for a long time I was, there was a, you know, on 35, there's a, there's a 28 that I have that I just absolutely love. Mm-hmm. I studied a lot of art history growing up. I mean, we, we moved around a lot when I was growing up. And so we, you know, I got, I was really fortunate. I got to go to a lot of museums, you know, all throughout Europe and the rest of the world. And wow. you know, there was a very strong almost I would say like formalist education and so it, it was very much like rigid and rule of thirds and very proscenium very presentational and it's been one of the hardest things for me to break is moving away from that just sort of like 
trying to tell every single element of this story within this frame. And it's almost a sort of like, I need to give you the, the full context of the, the story. The problem is, is that there's sort of no mystery at that point. And so for me, what's, what's this sort of, the sort of progression has been, you know, hey, I don't need to tell you everything. You can probably fill in the blanks. I don't need to, you know, you don't need to see every element. And so for me, it's been much more kind of, you know, going with longer lenses or even on wider lenses, just, you know, extending the frame, making it not be so everything in its right place, rectilinear, you know, perfectly composed and just really being, it's, it's funny because I think I, I look at the work of a lot of other photographers and that just seems so second nature to them. And for me, one of my struggles is really just sort of, you know, how do you tell the story? How do you communicate that mo mood and yet have it be so incomplete? I think is, a, is, is just always from a sort of or conception to execution uh, gap a challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I, uh, I feel like I just take the same picture over and over now. <laughs> I think, so, but I think we all do. I yeah. Think, I, think that's the, I think that's the thing. It's, a, it's all just a distillation of a lot of those really elemental uh, or, you know, formational visual ideas yeah. that you... You know, I mean, you you could really extract it and almost look at the skeleton of all your images and be like, I'm doing the exact same thing <laughs> that I've been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah, but so. it is it is exciting when you take one, or at least for me, when I take one that's maybe accidentally a different Oof. thing. And you're like, oh wait, what's this road yeah. here? Well, yeah, and it's the I didn't know I was capable of this. How did I do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. For me though, if I bring the intellectual back into it, that's where everything freezes back up. So it's funny. That's, yeah. I would, I, in the exact same way, if I think about it too much. Um, and that's where I think now for me, it's mostly just about experimenting with technique yeah. um, and just trying to find just different ways of not doing it the exact same way that I've always done it and then expecting different results. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any photographers who you, you refer back to? Kadoka is probably one of my favorites. Yeah. There's a South African photographer. His name is Guy Tillum. I worked on a movie in Mozambique about 10, 12 years ago, and I was a camera assistant on it, and it was really, it was indie movie. It never saw the light of day, unfortunately, but in the kind of researching of that area, you know, I was just looking for different photographers, and he's one who's based in Cape Town, and he's got this really amazing hybrid of reportage with fine art photography, which mm. I would just say is exactly what I'm mostly drawn to yeah um, is that it's not just photojournalism but then it's also not on the on the opposite side of it you know totally conceptual and he has just this eye and this artistry towards telling stories and you know uh, specifically being over there there's a series called Joburg that is just mm. absolutely mind-blowing cool um, so yeah I would I would I always go back to the two of them yeah very cool <laughs> yeah when you're when you're diving into a feature or or even a shorter yeah. piece, do you like a lot of research? Do you like pull a lot of visual reference? You know, it's it's funny. I, there's a director who I worked with last year for the first time. He's he's a good friend of mine, and he gave me the challenge. And I try to do this on every job since then. He gave me the challenge. He's like, instead of just going to your computer or go to your photo books and kind of copy and paste the things that you think are in the vein of of what this is i want you to meditate for 30 minutes i want you to clear your brain if you can and i want you to just think about what this project is and how you can do something different and 
similarly like and it, this is this was this it was a commercial but it was the the culmination of a lot of things that he and I had been talking about mm. and he's like I just want you to do something different on this like let's let's explore let's experiment and what that experience did of just not doing that sort of very agitated brain go immediately to the five you know commercials within that genre that imme- that that uh, immediately come to mind that you copy and paste and send to the director and say like I think it should look like this. Um, we instead approached it in a different way, and I and I was so also proud of that project because it was coming from a more more personal experience. Yeah, you know. So again, that's not to say that I don't also <laughs> still do that on you know do the the image polls. You know, I you know have a pretty extensive library on my computer and my you know all my books and whatnot yeah on that one did you find that you you pulled or some images came to you out of left field that you wouldn't have even thought completely of? Yeah. and it was it was more it was oddly enough it was about movement um oh, interesting. which came and i think that that was even on this one that i just did with this hockey commercial we realized john and i realized that we were sharing a lot of images but not talking enough about movement and i think that so often now in terms of cinematography it's about specific image poles Mm -hmm. and it's less about how do you use the movement of the camera to communicate and translate emotion right and so while not that one previously there were movement ideas that were coming to my brain that were as a result of the music that he was asking me to listen to that never would have happened had it just been again like a copy paste of images right so that's, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to try that myself. <laughs> do you like a lot of collaboration with directors or do you like to be left to your own devices in terms of lens length or shot list type of thing? I think it just depends. Yeah. I think it really just depends. I think that there's a, I mean, the way that I like to, to, to approach specifically narrative projects, you know, the last couple of features I've, I've done this and I, I think it's been to really great effect is we'll just spend the first three or four days of prep just going line by line through the script. Yeah. And it's not with any con or conversation about visuals. It's not, I really want to do this shot or this reminds me of the way that this looks in this movie. It's merely a, do I understand the, the intention of this beat, the intention of this scene, the nuance of this moment, the sort of desires of the character, the making sure that when the director on day 17 is stuck in the trailer and the AD and the production designer are coming to me and saying, do you think she's coming out of this door or is she coming out of this door? And just being able to, because you are so much a, you know, co-investor in the storytelling at that point, right. that it's just a shortcut to a lot of those conversations. And that to me is the best kind of collaboration that I have. I can talk lenses and lighting till the cows come home with a director and I'm, and I'm, I really enjoy it because it's obviously our vocabulary and it's our currency. Right. Um, but I have to be on the same page of that story. I have to understand what that, what we're intending to communicate. Yeah. Um, because then otherwise it's really just sort of arbitrary visuals that you're applying to a story that might not take it. And so I need to make sure that the intention of this scene is this and not, you know, oh yeah, you completely misread this right. um, and not finding that out <laughs> in the middle of a scene <laughs> yeah. that you're shooting. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important, you have it's, to know where everything is emotionally for it, every scene, for every 
for the arc of the whole thing for all of it it's honestly one of the for me one of the more difficult things that I'm still dealing with with commercials is a lot of times you just get boards right (laughs) completely you know and it's very much this almost kind of elementary rearrangement of images that you're saying okay so so we're in a park and then we're in a high rise and then we're and you're like what is this what is this spot about? <laughs> and so really, you know, and you're, you're, you're trying to just sort of piece those kind of image threads together. And so for me, it just, you know, the, to be able to have just like that written word and that document, you know, to begin with and to say like, this is what's happening and this is how you can read between the lines. And this is what, this is what's not being said is just a very uh, holy document. <laughs> yeah. Do you like uh, collaborating with storyboarders too, as well as a director? Or, or prepping it's, that way? It's not as necessary for me because I can just go off of shot list with a director, specifically for narrative work. I don't feel like a, I feel like a storyboard um, is not as necessary for me. But in terms of commercials, it's obviously incredibly important because, you know, there's a difference between a full shot of a person on a green screen versus a medium close-up of somebody on a green screen and the kind of technical implications of all of those things. Right. So being really clear about those, because that's very much what the client is buying, is an important conversation for me to be a part of. Sure. But a lot of it really is just, you know, getting on that location with that director and saying, yeah, I know this is how we thought we were going to shoot this, but if we rotate the set 90 degrees, you get a lot more value and a lot more visual interest out of... Uh, out of looking in this direction. And I understand that that might even restage the scene to a certain degree, but I think this is going to (laughs) work. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you fall flat on your face and you, and, and it doesn't, but I think sort of taking those risks and, and speaking up in that way is, is what's, what I'm there for. Right. So no, that's invaluable for yeah. sure. It's very cool. Just wanted to ask you about some of your technical approach. Sure. Do you, uh, do you prefer to try to get everything in camera or do you like, like a super flat raw image that can be pushed around in post? I used to, you know, I, I used to like, I mean, I used to shoot, you know, film. The right. first feature I did was on film. And so it's just sort of, it's, it's a completely different approach in that way. But at this point it's, Partly because of that experience, what I see on set is what I want to see on screen. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, I usually like to a pretty tight range, both latitude and contrast. Mm. Obviously, whoever down the line can do what they will with it. (laughs) And there's plenty of information on either side. I just have found that the more specific I've gotten in my preparation and then in terms of the look that's presented on screen or, you know, on on set the less room for confusion yeah. there is uh, you know, at any point down the line. So just really being able to lock that in and then send that down the pipeline right. really for me ensures that this is what it's going to look like. If given the option, do you have a, a look that, you're, that you gravitate towards naturally or do you let the project dictate? I think I try to let the project dictate. I'm, I really like higher contrast work specifically in the look itself you know so much recently the you know it's it's a very kind of like lifted blacks um and i think that classically i'm just much more drawn to a you know deeper stronger bolder black but even just kind of going back into some of the film experience i've got like black isn't actually true black it's you know a sort of multiplication of a lot of different (laughs) you know grain so even kind of getting some activation in there is has been really nice yeah. lately and just you know working with some colorists to just be able to 
emulate that film look um, has been good. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. I feel like there's a trend now of like really dark images, low contrast, like zero edge light. It's almost hard to make out certain things in a frame. Yeah, and it's 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 because the tools allow us allow that, and because both in terms of the capture tools, but then also the exhibition, right. um, is that you know you're not watching it on a four three SD seventeen <laughs> inches your max you know screen in somebody's home. You can be a little bit more inventive with your framing, even if it's intended for television, because everyone's got you know massive screen TVs. Yeah, so. Just out of curiosity, do you ever use a light meter when doing do. digital? Yeah, I do all the time. Nice, um, <laughs> and it's it's partly it's probably very much a uh, what would be the um, it's almost like a pacifier. <laughs> you know, just having it on my hip is is just something that's really nice. It's a nice way for me to just kind of be much more tactile with my process. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of jobs that I've done have been exclusively crane work you know and so i don't even touch the camera right i'm nowhere near the camera um (laughs) and so the light meter sometimes for me just helps me put myself back on set and back in that environment again yeah and really just stop looking at screens and using your eyes and your your kind of more classical reinforcements of the data right as opposed to just you know looking inside this little box and trying to understand why it's not working right and that what sort of working relationship do you like with your gaffers do you like to be specific or let them you know just stay big and soft and let them figure it out or something it's a like good that? question i mean i work i do so much international work and then just work outside of la yeah. and so i've you get really used to speaking different languages in terms of how <laughs> yeah. how best other people work and how best you're going to collaborate and communicate. There's a campaign that I did last year with one of my favorite directors to work with because we just have so much fun, but we light so differently from everything else that I do. And it's this very, the, the first one that we did was this very just like hot and hard and high key, like really like obvious shadows and very just kind of think like, you know, late 60s James Bond Hitchcock kind of <laughs> look to it and the gaffer that I had there I literally just showed him one image and and he and you know we had a company move and I show you know show up at the next location and it is just so perfectly dialed into a T and it's like there's almost like sort of no room for error wow. uh, or margin in terms of just threading the needle of even where talent's going to walk but that's that look when you're shooting you know at an f8 and you're on a 35 millimeter lens and you're trying to hold a clo- somebody in close and you know somebody deep as well right. but then the crazy we went from that to then we did that same campaign but we did it in portugal right afterwards and i knew that i could have gone in and said well no this is exactly what we did in chile and so you're going to replicate this look at, you know perfectly and these are the lights you're going to use but i also knew that this guy was really really good uh had worked with a lot of really really experienced cinematographers and so when he was talking about you know like well have you thought about this light or maybe would you consider this you know i was like well i still really want to do this but what was so interesting was that not only were his suggestions about these specific lights of solving those problems just so perfect and so like unique to the the situation that we were in but what i also (laughs) learned from that experience was he brought so many other things to that 
shoot. I mean, for example, what happened was, you know, I think it was a 15-hour day, and we started at dawn, and we went through midday with direct sun overhead, and we finished at nighttime, but it all had to look like it was 6.35, you know, in the kind of like, you know, mid-summer, or, you know, I guess it wouldn't be in Portugal, it would be probably more like 9.35, but it's got a specific time of light to it, but it was also in this very, like, heavy, high-key look to it, but he had built all of these other sort of like secondary level controls to this pretty large space that then allowed, and they were, you know, the color balance was correct that allowed it to us to shoot uninterrupted in a way that then had this retention of contrast and color control. Yeah. That I think had I said from the beginning, like, no, you're going to light it exactly this way. And this is going to be the way that, you know, this is how we did it in Chile. So this is how we're going to do it in Portugal. I wouldn't have also learned so much from him, and I think that he would have also not been so free to give me as much as he did. Right. Um, so I've just really been able, I've, I've really taken that mentality. Obviously, I still have a job to do, and there's still enough that I, you know, I, there, there's still what I know about lighting to be true. But I also always try to build in those opportunities to to learn and to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the great things about any film or commercial set when everyone is hitting their stride and everything is clicking it's so fun it's yeah. like there's no better oh I mean, on that on that spot specifically we were doing this specific camera move and it was this like dolly in zoom in and we intentionally like never made it perfect yeah right so it always kind of wobble at the end of the of the shot and i could just hear danny at the monitor like you know 60 feet away around the corner as I was rehearsing it, just like giggling his face off. Like, and I just, I knew, like I knew it was working. Yeah. And it was just so, it's just, you know, I think that's a, you're right. It's such a great example of just everybody's clicking and your brain is just so activated at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's that flow state that oh, it's, you hear yeah, about. That it's, you yeah. hope for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Rarely attain. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. Do you like to be involved in the grade if possible? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's the it's the incredibly important component yeah. <laughs> of the image, and it's just there are just so many ways in which, if I'm not involved, it can go in so many different directions that I never intended or wanted. Yeah. Um, so if it almost more than anything else, it's like a stopgap. Um, you know, it's a you know, hey, we worked really hard in the development of this this look and this approach. We shot it a specific way on set you know, we're now in the grade, let's not get cold feet, let's really see this through, as opposed to, you know, maybe working with people and sometimes, you know, when the agency is is in there, they're like, well, why don't we try this? Or why don't we try this? And, and that's okay. And I think that you have to go through the paces of that sometimes to yeah. be able to also surprise yourself. But everything that you're seeing on screen is, 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 is intentional and is a direct result of, you know, years of experience that brought it to there. It's not accidental. And so I really fight for that image yeah. um, to be able to be preserved in the way that it was intended. I know that some cinematographers like to have their own sort of basic LUT. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything like that or do you just kind of... I, it depends on the job. Yeah. You know, there is a... You know, the, 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 the LUT that I'll use for, you know, more kind of like high-key beauty work is not the LUT that I'm going to be using for right. a more doc <laughs> style, you know, commercial is not going to be the look that I'm using or the LUT that I'm using for, you know, a car commercial. Right. Um, you know, so they're still kind of coming from the same trains, essentially, or, you know, just sort of trees. 
Um, but you know, I have a really great DIT. Um, his name is Genenio Salucci, and he nice. is just <laughs> like is so patient with me because <laughs> I will I will send him. You know, we'll 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 be working through tests, and I'll send him. I'll show him ten different images, and he's very. He, like I said, he's very patient, but he's also very diplomatic to not tell me these are such contradictory images. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet, like, just through conversation, we're able to really distill, like, hey, this is what's working with this. This is, like, I want you to pay specific attention to this. Like, how much of this is going to be in the lens and how much of this is going to be in the grade? And, you know, finding that fusion is, is uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So do you have any personal mental prep or physical prep that you like to do for a longer project or even a grueling commercial? I don't think I finished that. The story before what I was saying, the thing about the graduate is that the the night before any big project, mm-hmm. I'll watch the graduate. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know, I'll be, I've I've seen it so many times at this point that I'll I'll try to be specific about the reason why I'm watching it. I'll be like, "Well, I just really want to watch you know, their use of, I mean, it's so granular at this point, like lateral movement as, you know, or whatever it is. And within eight minutes, I'm just like completely sucked into the movie. Yeah. And, and it just helps put me in the right place. It helps remind me that it is just, it's, you know, yes, the technical aspects are incredibly important, but you still have to tell a story. Right. So, I mean, the other thing that I've been doing a lot lately, the last couple of years, you know, the night before I used to almost, you know, I would cram and I would look at different videos and references and whatnot. And what I'll do now is I'll just cook. I'll just cook the night before. Oh, that's um, a, I love that. And it just, it's still <laughs> creative. It still lets the back of my brain be doing work yeah. and just kind of solving problems in a much more kind of subconscious way. You know, there's still energy. It's not just completely, you know, um, laziness that I'm just sort of vegging out. But it is, it, I just really enjoy the creative aspect of it. Um, Well, then not also, you know, draining my eyes out in front of a computer screen the night before. Right. I love that. (laughs) Cooking has always been super therapeutic and a huge passion of mine. It's incredible. It's, it's even funny. My, my wife is an incredible cook. It's one of the first things I fell in love with her about, and we cook completely different. She can, she can look at a fridge in a pantry and concoct just, and she'll go out to the garden and she'll just, you know, pick the most, magical gourmet meal and for me the way that I like to cook is the more complicated the recipe (laughs) the more sense of satisfaction I get from it oh yeah um so if it's a you know a syncing up of you know four different dishes with 20 steps simultaneously and they've all got to get in within you know essentially a five minute window like that to me is like oh you've done it <laughs> it's just you know it's uh you know yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you have a signature dish oh man there's this there's a grilled rack of lamb that i really like doing there's a there's a salmon with this chili sauce that's uh like thai chili that's oh, that nice. i like that's that's pretty good yeah yeah. <laughs> are you are you into French cooking with that? A little bit precision. Yeah, no, I, I mean I I'm still learning, but there's a there's a duck breast that, that I that I make that I'm pretty proud of as well. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's this uh the commentary on I think it's the Godfather one where Coppola uh, there, there's like a scene where they're cooking a pasta sauce yeah. and he's like I try to put, put a recipe into every movie that's amazing so even if you hate the movie you get a recipe out there's of it a, it's, <laughs> no it's funny there's the scene in Goodfellas where you know Paulie's in the jail and he's slicing oh, the God, slicing so the good. garlic and I can't even my mom she's like why don't you use a garlic press and I'm just like 
I don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> Why I have to cut garlic this way. <laughs> but this is how I have to cut garlic. <laughs> oh, so good. I love it. That actually answered that last question. Like, what else are you inspired by? I guess that's that's pretty good. I've been, well, it's actually funny. I've been, um, I've been taking piano lessons again lately. Oh, cool. Um, you know, I grew up, I was a, I played piano competitively for a long time, and then I just stopped. It just wasn't something that I was interested in. But I think it, it was really helpful for me to just kind of do a lot of simultaneous brain work. Yeah. Um, that then also, similarly, you know, when you're operating, is there's a lot of physical coordination. I mean, I played sports um, as well. And so I just read a book recently that, you know, was literally about a person, you know, who had kind of refound their love for playing the piano. And, and I had forgotten how much I had loved that and how therapeutic that was. Yeah. So I started taking lessons again and I can't stop myself now. And I oh, just, that's great. so it's just so relaxing, but then it's also, it's a challenge. There are pieces that I had always wanted to play when I was younger that I, for whatever reason, had been told that I couldn't or whatever. And now it's just, I'm working with a teacher who's just really encouraging and says like, you know, points out the things that definitely are in need of improvement. But there's a, there's even, there's a confidence that comes from that of just saying like, you know, Hey, I want to learn this. And now being on the other side of, you know, two new Chopin pieces and just being like, this was not something that I even knew was possible for me before. Right. Oh God. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I took piano for five years growing Mm -hmm. up and was sort of forced into it and reluctantly liked it. But, um, I did find that later on, you know, cutting film or yeah. or even thinking about directing, it's like, wow, like there's a rhythm that you understand that completely. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of interesting how it gets in you. Yeah. What's next for you? Any big projects? Relaxing for a little bit. Nice, good for yeah. you. I'm sure you've been traveling a ton. Yeah, there's there's commercial stuff that's coming up, um, but nothing, no explicitly longer term projects. But that's that's what I'm on the lookout for right cool. now. So. Do you think you'd ever jump back into directing or not jump? Um, I mean, it's something that's always been interesting. I think a lot of it is just there's a, it's, it's, it would be more about finding the right story to tell. Yeah. I think what inspires me a lot about the directors that I do work with is that it is so clear when it's right that this is the story that they're meant to tell. Yeah. And that it's not just director for hire. It's, hey, this is personal and this is passionate and this is a story that only they can tell. I mean, they're, you know. I think I just haven't found that story. Yeah. Um, to be, you know, because it's just such a commitment. Sure. So it is. It's like you got to live with it for two years. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And there's <laughs> something really wonderful about being a cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, is you know, for better or for worse, is that you you jump on and jump off. But what I've really been learning and enjoying much more is much more fully investing myself in in those projects, even as a cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one last question. Is there anything you wish you would have known early on that you might tell a young cinematographer to Mm -hmm. think about or look out for? Uh, Keep a low overhead. (laughs) (laughs) Good advice. Yeah. Uh, You know, some of the best opportunities that I had when I was in school and coming out of school, I mean, I was broke on student loans, but it was just, you know, it was not having uh, an expensive rent or a car payment or anything that was making it difficult to get up and just go. I mean, like, you know, I was in Mozambique for three or four months when I was in school just for that, you know, just because that opportunity presented itself. Right. Yeah. That's a good piece of advice for sure. (laughs) Cool. Well, I really appreciate you doing the show. Thank you so much. Of course. And uh, I look forward to what you shoot next. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.